0: The Fanfic Writer's Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and my co-host, Lani, is also known online under the name Copperdust. In this episode, we talk about how we come up with new ideas for fanfic, our relationship to plotting and outlines, how we usually try and dig ourselves out of plot holes, and the value in getting comments from our readers as we go along. We also go on a rather long tangent about the condition I have called aphantasia and how that impacts my writing style. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. Hi everybody and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft, uh, so this is Jo Pebbly Sand and I'm here with Lani. Hi. How are you? I am hanging in there <laughs> till the end of the school year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and like have you had anything to, like since we have last poked, have you written anything, done anything, anything you want to share at this point? Um, I've continued
1: sort of chipping away at Merry Men, which is my AU. Um, I haven't made a ton of progress this week because I've been pretty dead tired when I get home every day, but I've continued on the research front. And yeah, I've continued with, with, uh, some scenes in Merry Men. Um, I probably wouldn't share them yet because that's the kind of story where you don't want to take, you don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, I, I appreciate for everyone who's been patient on my work because this it's really been long delays. I know that.
0: Yeah, I know, same. I mean, I've been writing a lot uh, lately. I have been working on castles, and um, so I have I have one chapter that's ready, like more or less ready to go. But I would like to write like three and like get the three out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of working on that and I'm about halfway done through the first draft of chapter 12 so yeah we'll see I would like to kind of get that done before I'm taking holidays in August so I'm like I would like to kind of get that done before I can like go home and like have a nice time on the beach Mm -hmm. Uh, but we shall see I suppose (laughs) have you been reading anything interesting or anything you want to share yeah, so I've actually just kind
1: of gone through a number of books. Um, I finished reading The Candy House, which is Jennifer Egan's newest novel. And she's a really interesting writer, um, one of my kind of biggest inspirations. Um, and this book is deals with the same characters um, as A Visit from the Goon Squad, which was, I think, 2011, and it won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and I also recently finished up Meditations in Green, which is... A novel long since out of print about the Vietnam War. And right now I'm reading um, Close Quarters, which is another novel set in the Vietnam War. <laughs> and I'm also reading um, The Truce, which is Primo Levi's memoir, um, which is a follow up to Survival in Auschwitz. So very light light-heart- hearted reading material.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're, I, I admire you for doing this much research on like the Vietnam War and everything for your fic. I think that's really cool. Mm hmm. Anyway, um, so welcome to the second episode. Uh, we are going to talk about plot today, um, as you've probably already heard in the intro. Um, so we're going to talk about like all things plot, plotting, how to come up with a plot, how to dig yourself out of a plot hole and all that stuff. So I think it's going to be fun. So I think uh, the first thing that we wrote down that we wanted to discuss is kind of like how I think that's always a question that a lot of people have asked me is like, where do you get all your ideas from? Like, Mm how do you come up with that stuff? Yeah, or like, where does it start? Yeah, where does it start? So I think uh, we can uh, kind of go through that. So like, can you talk to me about like a little bit the process of that? Sure. Um, So
1: I, I do notice that like, for both of us, I think we like to have something of an outline done before we start writing the whole story but that's never going to include all the stuff that ends up in the story um and i think uh you said before that um you sort of got interested um by coming across something like in a tv show or in a movie or in a song that would kind of trigger an
0: idea for you is that right yeah so for me usually like, the ideas that I get, at least for fic, the ideas that I get are from, like, the source material. So, either, you know, I'll, like, re- for Harry Potter, I'll, like, reread the books. Or, like, for a TV show, I'll, like, watch or re-watch the TV show. Uh, like, usually, there'll be, like, a moment in time or... You know, like a like maybe a scene or a character that I'm like, oh, I've never thought about that before, and you know, it kind of sparks something. Mm-hmm. Um, and music as well. So most of the most of the fics that I write have kind of a theme song almost. Like there's always like kind of a song that
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know evokes a story or like. And sometimes it's not even about the lyrics of the song. It's more about like the mood of the song or like the the way the song makes me feel or. Or even like the song the way the song is written mm-hmm. or something will like trigger there's like a vibe or an energy yeah i'm like i'm very i'm very vibes oriented <laughs> 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 um and i think i've spoken about that on tumblr as well and like we've had a lot of conversations about that i'm just like very like i'm 90 percent vibes uh so <laughs> so so yeah like usually it'll be it'll be something that I'm vibing with and I'm kind of like oh yeah that could be a good idea um but it might not even be related to like the kind of prosaic meaning of the song it can be like something you know completely remote uh, and just like the way it makes me think and feel like how about what about you
1: um, I was actually going to say also that I'm about 99% like vibes based. So it's, it's kind of hard to explain <laughs> where an idea comes from when, when it usually comes up is like, I feel this energy and I'm trying to find something that matches the energy that I have in my mind. That's like really just an emotion that prior to coming up with a story for it exists in a way that just can't be communicated with words until I figure out that story and yeah so for me like also very much like music is a big part of it Um, having a song that connects to some kind of feeling um, although sometimes I'll come across other things that give me a vibe other than a song so I found um, one time I had stumbled across a website that was Describing like realistically what would Spinner's End look like, mm. and uh, what would those houses look like based on real sort of historic research into the types of of uh, sort of Victorian terraced housing that would have been available to mill workers really deep dive complete with multiple floor plans and research on everything from what kind of plumbing they would have had to what kind of playground would have been in the vicinity. What are the different possibilities for the internal layout of the house? How many bedrooms could it have had? um, When would they have had running water? Every, Every single thing that you could possibly think of was covered in this. And that I think that was what made me get interested in snape as a character was almost like not even him but the details about the house he might have grown up mm. in so definitely coming across for me a setting and time period a place that that interests me can then lead to me wanting to tell a story that's set in that place so i guess for me like aside from being like vibes based and just like waiting for certain like vibrations <laughs> from the muse i don't know <laughs> aside from that it definitely i like places a place combined with a time is what will usually get me thinking, like, I want to do a story that's, like, has this setting. Like, I know for, mm. for March Hare, even though I ended up finishing it in May, I started writing it in March because I was, I was thinking about how, like, March isn't really a time of year where a lot of stories are set because there isn't really a significant holiday. The weather is kind of blech. You know, the snow is melting, the grass is muddy, there's like hardly any grass, there's patches of mud, like it's not a nice time of year. And I kind of wanted to go into that. I wanted to have a story set in March um, and taking and like really having that natural environment, this sort of melting, soggy, decrepit, like moldering leaves being uncovered as the snow melts, water dripping off plants as, as the ice sort of melts, uh, that kind of weather. And then and then from there, mm. I kind of went further into, like, why am I in this place? Like, what's going on in this space? So, yeah, de- definitely for me, it's, like, very place-based.
0: Yeah. That is so interesting because that's not something that I think of at all. Like, it's, like, I – because I think – I think that's because – so I have a thing uh, that's called aphantasia, something like that. It's, like, basically what, I'm one of those people, if I close my eyes and you tell me – to, like, visualize, like, a tree or an apple, I can't see anything. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't see anything. When I read, I don't see anything. I can't visualize stuff. And so I think that's probably the reason why, like, I don't really think... I hardly ever think of, like, place and settings when I write, Um, but I do think a lot... I think we've spoken about that before, like, about characters. So, like, a lot of the time, if I'll read, like... I'll read or I'll see something that will make me think, oh, this character is interesting and I want to deep dive into their personality and explain like why are they like this, how did they grow up or like how did you know what happened to make them like this like I think um, a good example I've not finished it but um, I'm kind of in the midst of writing a fic about um, the character of May Carlton in Peaky Blinders who's like she's kind of like a side character and Like, because we don't know that much about her and like, there's like certain elements of personality and I'm like, ooh, I wanna see, like, I wanna know how that happens. I wanna know, I wanna know what hides behind that. And I think that's like one of the things that I kind of look at more than place is like, I'll see a character or a situation where I'm like, ooh, I wanna like, deep dive into that and see how that would like materialize or you know in writing or how like how that would that develop I suppose.
1: I really like that question you said of who made you like this because I think when you meet someone in real life who seems like very nice and well-adjusted you maybe you don't ask yourself that question Mm -hmm. but when you meet somebody who is really weird who's mean-spirited or socially inept or incompetent at life or has some kind of obvious personality issue that's when you're like what did your parents do like who how did you end up like this like who enabled you to become this way and you want to know more about like what was your upbringing that allowed you to become this way and so I think um you know even with a character who may be kind and likable when there's something about them that seems deeply troubled or a problem that's when you're like what went Mm -hmm. on in this in this person's childhood like what happened and I definitely for me that that's also something that kind of like motivates my writing is like how did you how did you end up like this you know and it's never like the most friendly well-adjusted character that you're going how did you end up like this you know so like i mean well who would be an example of like a very friendly and well adjusted character that we can think of
0: um well I think the thing with like friendly and well adapted people is that they're not particularly interesting yeah. so we don't like fix... until you find that secret thing about them that's not like friendly and well adjusted like I would, I would argue that maybe at the beginning of the books for instance like someone like Ron may seem like a casual kind of well adjusted kid you know he's like in his magical world his parents love him Mm -hmm. like you know and then the more you dig into him you see that like there's a lot of so i think like that's the thing i think like most people and i think that's why like i'm so character based is that i think there's something to tell about most people like there's something Mm -hmm. there you know like there's something interesting to write about most people and so you kind of you just have to find that angle Mm -hmm. you know like
1: yeah definitely there's I mean, everyone in real life, like real human beings in real life, nobody is 100% friendly and well-adjusted. Like everybody has something going on. But as a writer, like you have to identify the thing about a character that's troubling or weird in order to make them interesting. You can't just let them be friendly and well-adjusted and nice if they're going to be a major character. I mean, obviously we have plenty of background characters who are just not going to get that much time in the spotlight. But anyone important... Has to have some like weird skeletons in their closet um i did want to ask you a little bit more about i think you said aphantasia because i find that like so interesting and and shocking (laughs) that you can't like visualize things in your head like i mean does when you say you can't do you mean you don't automatically do it or even if you tried you can't no even if i
0: try i can't it's just a black it's it's all black
1: so if i said tree but you know what a tree is so how can you describe a tree if you can't see one in your head
0: well so the 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 scientists explain this a lot better than i will but basically like i can imagine a tree in sentences and like i can i know what a tree is obviously so i can describe it but I'm not going to describe a tree that I visualize. I'm just going to describe on the basis of what I know to be a tree. So like if you ask me to describe a tree, I'll be like, oh, it's got a trunk. It's got leaves. It's got like branches, whatever, because that is what I know. But, like, I'm not going to describe, like, a specific tree that I see because I can't see anything. Um, Now, I do, I can, so I'm one of those people I can visualize a little bit. Like, it can be very blurry outlines uh, because, like, there's degrees of, like, how... Like how much you have this, basically. So like, I can kind of. I have a friend of mine who can see nothing. Like she's told me she can see nothing. I can. What about a geometric shape? No, like Like a triangle. No. But like, I can see like blurry uh, edges and like blurry. You know, it's very like I can kind of see fuzzy outlines. Do you have dreams? I at night do, but I very rarely remember them. Um, and like, so I've heard something that definitely applies to me is that, um, people with this thing with, I don't know if it's a condition. I mean, it doesn't, it's not like incapacitating in my daily life, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I've heard, I've read that like, you tend to have less memories and that is true. Like, that is 100% true. I don't remember. Most of, like, a lot of people will have, like, memories from their childhood and stuff. I remember almost mm-hmm. nothing. And um, I, like, I'll have, like, memories, like, maybe, like, of sounds or things or things that happened and stuff, but I'm not able to, like, visualize a memory. I don't, like, and there's so many times where people are like, don't you remember this happened? And I'm like, no, I do not remember this. Um, but you can recognize a familiar face or a familiar yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I can't I can't see them in my head, which I know is weird, but it That's you know, I had read about this condition a while ago like before we
1: had this conversation, I read about people I read about a few things. There are people who have no interior monologue in their heads, so they think without yeah. any words. There's no inner voice in their head. They think without words. I'm beyond unable to imagine how that how that is. Um, aphantasia I would say j- just below that on the level of like I really 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 struggle to understand how that's a thing. Like I can I, I can understand being physically blind and therefore having no yeah. idea of like what things look like, but for me like i guess i'm i'm really struggling to understand firstly how you learn to read because i know that like we're explicitly told as teachers to instruct kids to visualize and try to visualize while they're reading because we know it helps with reading comprehension and that kids who don't visualize or can't do it well usually struggle a lot with learning to read and especially like following
0: along with a story so like was that an issue you faced as a kid i don't remember um so i had difficulty reading out loud like i could read in my head really well like i could and very quickly like normally and stuff reading out loud so like translating like s- like words that i could see into sounds was harder but i don't know if that's related or not mm-hmm. but like it's funny because so i discovered i had this very recently because of reading it online and like a friend of mine has it as well and so she sent me the link and she was like and she was asking me if i could see things and i was like no and then she was like yeah we're both the same but like most people can but i thought like throughout most of my childhood when teachers were telling me like oh you know image like think of an apple or like think of a tree i thought everyone was pulling my leg when Mm they're like oh yeah like my tree has like seven branches and like leaves and stuff i thought you thought they were making it up like yeah i thought people were making it up and then, and then like, cause I can do that. Like I can make it up as I go along. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I can, yeah. but, and so I thought people were the same. And then I, at age like 27 or something, I discovered that like, no, people can actually see things. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a tangent, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's like, and so like, that's the thing. I don't really, and one of the things that I really used to struggle with, in writing and I I've kind of taught myself to do it and like now I can do it a little bit better mm-hmm. but like describing places and describing things objects things like that has always been like cuz it doesn't come to me naturally so mm-hmm. when I'm writing and every time I'm reading a book if there's like a description because no like there's no image in my head I'm like why do people read this like this <laughs> doesn't mean anything to me and so like i've had to like force myself to kind of include those details in my narrative and i used to think that i was just like not visual like i used to think oh you know i'm just not a very visual writer and that's sort of it but now i kind of understand why i'm not a visual writer and that's just because like i can't i i don't visualize things the way most people do that's, that's really interesting to me because I also, I think
1: visualization is on a spectrum, right? A lot of people yeah. are probably between where you, where you are and where I am, because I'm probably yeah. on the extreme end of visualizing where I see things in my mind in like incredible detail, highly specific um, with textures and things. And I know that some people, for instance, like a lot of people, when they're designing, when they're imagining a character, they'll find like a picture of some model or celebrity on the Internet in order to say, like, to help them imagine what that person's face would look like because they struggle to imagine a unique face that isn't Mm -hmm. a recollection of a face they've seen before. I actually like to me, that's a learned skill. I wasn't born, like, when I was a kid and I wanted to make up a story, I had to think of a face that I had seen before. Could didn't have to be someone I know. It could be from a magazine, and that would be the face that I would imagine. I actually I trained myself to try and imagine a new face that I had never seen and to give it detail and specificity in my mind. That's, that's like, a something that I learned to do. Um, and I think, you know, as I've said, there's a spectrum between seeing nothing in your head and for me it's like I, I don't I don't like reading something where it says that like a character was wearing a red dress because me like the word red there's too many shades of red for that to be specific and for dress to me there's like too many types of dress like that means nothing to me like mm. I, I wouldn't say a red dress like I, I need to know does it have like a smocked empire waist like what is the length of the hem is it puff sleeves is it like you know I need to know like what fabric it is and like I need I need to have a sense of like the specificity you know and so for me I guess um I that it's just such a different experience of reading and writing that we have that it it would make sense to me why you would write a certain way and not include certain things whereas my I might include all this stuff that you might think of as boring because if you can't visualize what I'm describing then it's not helping you to understand (laughs) like what I'm what i'm seeing but as that as that relates to plot i think i think it's interesting like we're both familiar with the maxim of Chekhov's gun right like if if a gun is on the mantle in the first act then Mm. it has to go off by the third so there's kind of the mise-en-scene where you have to be placing the relevant objects and people into a scene to prepare for the sort of payoff later where those things are going to be used and I wanted to know what your process was for kind of thinking about what objects and stuff you need to have in a scene. Are you just going going as you, like making it up as you go along or, or are you considering in advance, like what stuff you have?
0: I will very rarely consider, like, objects in a scene. Like, for me, the, the, the gun thing is a bit of a, like, it, for me, the way I view it is more of a metaphor thing of like, mm-hmm. I will, you know, if it's like a character development thing, I will have to like, set all the like milestones that I need to set to get mm-hmm. to the end place. So, like, that's kind of like a lot of times there'll be like a kind of a throwaway scene in like chapter one that becomes more important in like chapter three or whatever. That's the way, that's the way I view it. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the way, but I wouldn't like specifically in terms of like plotting a space and the objects and the people who are in that space isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. something that I think about, to be honest.
1: Yeah. So I think, again, it reflects a different process because for you, when you write, you are really writing, you are imagining your work as a book or as a story, right? Like on paper. Whereas when I'm writing, sometimes I imagine it as a movie and sometimes I imagine it as a play. Like, especially Mm. when I'm, um, when there's a lot of people and objects in a scene that get used, um, I imagine it kind of as a play, like you would have in a in a play, you would have a props table marked off with tape and every individual item that is needed in the scene is going to have a place on the props table and you have to keep track of them and you had to know what's going in and what's coming out. And there's choreography for when somebody's going to pass something to somebody else and so on. And I kind of think of it in those terms, especially if I'm writing, like I, I always think of this as like kind of a dinner table scene where people are sitting around a dinner table. Like if somebody picks up a cup then, like, when are they going to put it down, you know? Otherwise, yeah. they're sort of frozen in the sea and holding the same cup the whole length of the meal, you know? So I, I always kind of... Um, for me, the plot is not just the overall dynamics of the whole story. It's also about giving things a certain logic so it doesn't feel like you've picked up certain things and then forgotten about them. Yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. I mean, those kind of details are so usually visual details and like props and things are stuff that I add on edit. So it wouldn't, it would never or rarely mm-hmm. ever feature in my first draft. And it's something that I will add as a conscious move mm-hmm. to be like, okay, people who are visual will need to see something and so i will give them something to see <laughs> <Do> yeah, <know? laughs> you're like, i have to make accommodations for the business yeah exactly like it's like i'm i'm making accommodations for the people but yeah like for me but like that's something that i do in like a very conscious way when i'm like when i'm writing like when i'm editing uh versus like it's never it's very rarely ever in my first draft um so yeah i was wondering maybe because <laughs> we've been speaking for a long time already about <laughs> um about my uh my like visual- visualization uh, but i was wondering so i saw that you added a plot um a point about like the kind of like methods that people use to plan versus like planners versus pansters and stuff do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so
1: so in the sort of like fiction writing world there's this idea that some people are planners who you know create an outline and with varying degrees of detail will plan ahead for the plot of an entire work of fiction and there's pantsers who are literally just like on the seat of their pants making it up as they go along and of course we know that there's a spectrum between these two things with some people being at the extreme ends and a lot of people in the middle but one thing i find really interesting is some of the most famous pantsers are people who you would think based on their writing that they definitely would have had to have an outline and for me my Mm -hmm. favorite example is diana gabaldin who's the writer of the outlander series because um if you've read her books there's a lot of like Something is sort of seeded in an earlier chapter and a long time later it will come back in this way where there's like a real emotional payoff, you know, she's like a real Chekhov's gun writer, everything is sort of intertwined, she's got multiple um, sort of storylines and plot lines for different characters intertwined in like a very satisfactory way that all comes together. I was shocked to find out that she's making it up as she goes along because her writing is also incredibly research heavy and requires like a huge amount of prior knowledge that just feels like you really just sat down and made that up as you went along. Um, Stephen King is another one, although as somebody who's read Stephen King, sometimes you can kind of tell. Uh, Margaret Atwood is another one. So some of the most shocking people are, are pantsers. Um, Interesting. And I'm thinking, you know, like, what are the advantages of of being a a planner? And what are the advantages of being a pantser?
0: Ah, that's a tough one. I think... So, for me, I'm a little bit... Like, as you said, there's a spectrum between both. And I think I'm a little bit of both. Like, I will... So usually when I have a story, I know what the team is. I know what, where I want the characters to start and where I want the characters to end. And I usually will have like maybe a handful of scenes that have come to me that are very precise in my head. Usually like conversations between the people involved that I really like kind of, see as important and having to having to happen in that story and then I will build an outline like between those things so like between those big scenes I'll kind of build an outline to like bring the story together but then I will ignore the outline and do something completely different (laughs) (laughs) So, so, sometimes the outline is telling you what not to do cuz that's the only thing you won't stick with. Yeah, and usually I'll throw I'll try and follow the outline in the first draft. And then I'll sit with it and I'll be like this doesn't work. Don't ask me why this doesn't work. I don't know. It's just vibes. I'm not vibing it. Um and so it's like this thing doesn't doesn't work. I don't know why. And so I'll mm-hmm. sit or I'll like go for a walk, try and think of something yeah. to make it work. Yeah. And like that's when I'll like change the outline or like I'll just do like the changes and stuff in my head. Um but I think to me that method is how it works best because I'm able to like have a narrative and something kind of coherent and mm-hmm. kind of still outlined and still like i know where i'm going and stuff but still have the flexibility of you know Mm -hmm. being being able to say like okay no that doesn't work and i'm gonna go another way and i think that's kind of for me that is the benefit and like at the same time like the hard Mm -hmm. thing about like you know I can't I wouldn't be able to stick to one or the other method because I think if I was outline only I would like the flexibility of just being like no I'm not vibing this with this this doesn't work but at the same time if I was only a panster I think I would just like Mm -hmm. completely like I wouldn't know where to go I wouldn't (laughs) I wouldn't know where to start where to finish like I have and usually Mm -hmm. regardless of whether I aim to or not I'll still have like scenes that I want to write like down the line so that's still a form of an outline you know I'll definitely I'll never sit down with a blank page and be like okay well let's write a story like usually I kind of have an idea of like a couple of scenes that I want to get to.
1: For me, I'm sort of the combination because sometimes I'll have a story that's so detailed in my head that I don't need to write it down because I just know it all sort of by heart in my head. But when I sit down to write, I'm not kind of starting from scratch because I know how it's going to end. When I write something that is more slow-paced or introspective or character-driven, I will sit down and and do an outline because I find... Um, If you're writing something where the kind of events and conflicts are not major sort of physical events, it sometimes helps to actually sit down and make sure that you do have a plot and not just a series of vignettes. Um, I got a recent comment from a reader on one of my stories who said something like, I really like this, even though it didn't have a plot. And I, (laughs) I felt like this person was not understanding what a plot is. Because um, a plot does mm-hmm. not mean that there has to be explosions or or treasure that is found. A plot is a kind of yeah. journey that a character takes, not necessarily a physical journey, but a, a series of events that happen that involve conflict and problems that gradually change the character so that by the end of the story they've grown or learned in, learned in some way and changed um, from the beginning. Um, but certainly there there does have to be stuff that happens and that stuff cannot be exclusively things that are good there there has to be conflict and so I, I felt that that story did have a plot but maybe it wasn't the kind of plot this this reader was used to mm-hmm. but I know that I had I, that was a story where I had like actually sat down and outlined it beginning to end before I started writing it because I knew I needed some direction otherwise it would just be sort of meandering and aimless I I do find like, Some stories, the setting and the the context of the story will make it easier or harder to come up with events. So the one thing about the story I'm writing now, because it's a war story, it's almost too easy to come up with conflict. The conflict is so obvious. It's so prevalent. It would be easy to, you know, just add more combat, you know, add more explosions. But I'm trying to not do that and not rely on the sort of obvious as a source of conflict all the time, because, um, you know, it just becomes repetitive when it's just, you know, guns and explosions and things. Um, But then, of course, you know, some of the best plotters of original fiction, in my view, the conflicts they create are always something where you wouldn't have thought of it or or really expected what what kind of problem that was Mm -hmm. going to be. I'm thinking of, like, Jonathan Franzen. You know, his characters always face problems, but they always end up being, like, a different problem than
0: than what we, you would expect that character to have. I can see what you mean. I think, and it, I think it kind of relates to what you said when we were preparing to, for the podcast, which is that your kind of general rule is that if there's, like, two outcomes that the reader can, like, foresee or whatever, you'll go with the third one, um, which I think is, like kind of an interesting mm-hmm. view of of plots and like trying to surprise your reader as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, surprise is important. Um, sometimes when when I'm writing a scene and I feel that it's starting to lag, that's when I know there needs to be what I call an interruption, not even necessarily when a story is starting to lag. But to me, like, I think, um, you know, I've learned from the writers I've read who I felt like were the best plotters. And, and one thing they had a handle on was Like, when in a scene is the natural moment that it's time to redirect, change the context, introduce a new element somebody wasn't expecting, and redirect the scene in a direction where at the start of the scene, you thought it was going to be one thing and by the end it's another. So, you know, you could start the scene with what you think is going to be a serious heart to heart conversation between two characters at sort of a slow paced, you know, emotional conversation. But by the end it's become like a man versus nature, survival thing where like a hailstorm has started i mean that's not a particular scene i've written but you know that's that's
0: Mm -hmm. as an example yeah i know that's very that's very interesting i think like for me there's like two things right there's like surprising your readers and and ending the scene in like a way that you wouldn't necessarily foresee but i think For a lot of us, like for a lot of media as well, you have to do that within still like the contract that you have with your reader or or your viewer or whatever Mm -hmm. the media is um, about the expectations. Like you can't do anything too wild either because then you're kind of breaking that contract and you're breaking that like contract that you have with like that you've set from the get-go with the with the person who's like consuming this piece of media and Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that i like one of the things that i always think about in that realm and especially because like for so for anyone who's watched uh the tv show peaky blinders that is something that they do very well of like at the end of every season there's like this like complete turnaround of events that you know is very Mm -hmm. like is both very unforeseen but at the same time very foreseen because it happens at the end of every season and so you come to expect That something is going, something is going to happen, but you don't know what it is, and it's always and like what I think they've done brilliantly is also like kind of working. They've worked with that to make the foreseeable the unforeseen and then foreseeable again. Like you know, it's all those things that like you know at the end, every season ends kind of well with like the protagonist like succeeding in his plan and whatever and then in in season five Mm -hmm. there was like a completely different event that happened but that made things actually go bad and it was like okay this Mm -hmm. was like this unforeseen like kind of like complete turnaround of events but it didn't end the way you thought it was gonna end and I think that's kind of the Mm -hmm. that's a very important Thing to think about when you're plotting is like, what are the expectations that you're setting for your reader Mm -hmm. from the get go in terms of like, what kind of thing will happen in this story? And that is set in like the first or second chapter of your story of like, okay, what is the expectation here? What's the tone? What are the types of things that can happen? What, and then and then you kind yeah. of have to operate within those ba- boundaries, I think.
1: I think also that the type of fans that a piece of media will get depend on what kind of twists and turns yeah. they, they throw in. So... Some of the sort of shows that have a small but incredibly dedicated loyal cult following are shows that will have the wackiest plot twists. So I have two examples. I'm somebody who's more on the side of, I want to see the most insane plot twist that I have no idea could possibly have happened. Like I almost want my viewing contract to be violated. So the first example I can think of is Lost, where a lot of people Fell off the Lost train when they realized that Lost, like when you watch the first few episodes of Lost, you're like, okay, this show has surprises and plot twists, but it's realistic in the sense that all of this stuff technically could happen. And then Lost decides like, oh, you thought it was that kind of show? (laughs) And they, and they will go like they I mean, what I admired about the writers of Lost was that they were almost willing to lose viewers in pursuit of the wildest, most unpredictable storylines. I really loved it. A lot of people couldn't cope with like the time travel, the interdimensional and, and and yeah. But then but then the show, the absolute number one show that I can think of in terms of being like. I honestly promise you that you don't know what's coming in each episode. The most wild, off the wall, like my f- I, my friend and I are huge like cult fans. We cried when the show was canceled, but I understand why it's not popular. Is the OA? I don't know if you've seen it. Mm, it was on I've Netflix. Heard of it? There is yeah. no piece of media, book, TV show, movie that could possibly have a wilder <laughs> sequence of events than the OA, which when. In in the first scene, you're like, okay, this is kind of going to be a bit of a crime story where a a little bit of a serious story where a character um, was blind. She regains her sight when she wakes up. She's she's just attempted suicide when she wakes up. She's regained her sight. And you're like, okay, I have some idea where this is going. No, no, you do not. And in the second season, sadly, it was canceled after two seasons. I can't even begin to tell you the number of what level plot twists let's just yeah. say I mean by that if you were still on board by the time the octopus came around you were obviously okay with this but even when I was like okay it's the o- the OA like the only thing you know is gonna happen is that it's not gonna be anything predictable I still wasn't ready for the octopus but yeah that's that's gonna get like a, a small dedicated cult kind of viewership you know I mean but I think that's something to keep in mind when you're writing and you're and you're thinking a plot twist is like you might gain some diehards or you might lose some people people on this so it's just a matter of what you want your story to be and there's no right way or wrong way it's just a matter of like what kind of story are you writing
0: yeah and i think obviously there's like there's a lot of things that come into consideration as well like it's like the quality of the writing is obviously a thing the quality of like character development the quality of like like there are so many things that You know you can have like the wildest plot twist possible if it's backed with like good writing good characterization good then that seems less wild like it seems more Mm -hmm. so I think it's it's something like I don't think plot is something that you can obviously you can work on it but I think you have to keep in mind that plot is related to like all the other aspects Mm -hmm. of like writing your story as well and yeah, it's kind of it's codependent because obviously you can have the best plot possible if your characters is just not relatable, then, you know, like a lot of people are going to drop off, a drop off as well. So I think yeah, it's something it's kind of a balance between like what you can and cannot do and like what you feel capable of doing. Um and but I like I think you know a lot of a lot of beginner, and I definitely did that when I was younger of like trying to end every chapter on like a cliffhanger or mm-hmm. whatever and I think that's like you don't have to do that. Like, if you want to do that, then good for you. But like, I think for me, it was like, oh, I have to do that or else like everybody will stop reading. And actually like, that's not true. If, if you're, if your plot is heading into the good, into a good direction, you don't have to be like so out there or like so, you know, like if you don't feel like it, you know.
1: And it's also, if you always end every chapter on a cliffhanger, that gets formulaic with the pacing where people know when to expect a cliffhanger. Whereas, if you do it once or twice but not all the time then people really don't know when it's coming
0: Mm -hmm. so i think we had a little bit of a section on sort of giving advice on how to like dig yourself out of a plot hole and kind of like what can you do to kind of say if something's not working for you your plot's not working what what do you usually do
1: well i would say like First, you need to look at your story and go like, "What is the problem here? Is the problem that I have writer's block and I just don't know what comes next? Is the problem that the thing that I wrote doesn't make logical sense? Like the character, it doesn't make sense that the characters would have chosen to do that thing based on what they knew or what their goals were. Um, is the problem that I have created a problem which I don't know how to resolve? Um, is the problem that I've created?" a conflict that I do know how to resolve, but I kind of am not willing to write that storyline and follow it through. So I think you have to like figure out what caused the problem first. Um, I'm going through a sort of, not quite plot hole situation right now with a story that I'm writing where, when I when I go into like, why am I having difficulty writing the next chapter? Um, I think it's because I've set up a, a, a sort of pace that I don't think is sustainable I think it's too slow paced so in that case I need to go backwards Mm -hmm. and delete a lot and increase the the pace of events in the story so that I can get into a more reasonable pace where I think it's you know right now it's going too slowly um, and I think it's it's not working for me I think in other contexts you really want a character to do a certain thing but then you need to find a reason why they would make such a risky or difficult or painful choice, you know? But if you're really committed to having a character go through that moment, then you need to work backwards to, like, why would they do this thing?
0: Yeah, and I think um, another thing to consider when you're trying to fix plot holes is to get an outside perspective. I think that's very important and can be extremely helpful um, in trying to see... Mm -hmm. how you can fix something or how you can like try and work around it maybe Mm -hmm. which i think is a very is something that is quite easy to do when you're writing fanfic Mm -hmm. because we're a lot of us now not all of us but a lot of us tend to post as we go along and post is rewrite and so you kind of end up in this situation where like you're like You're getting comments and you're getting like feedback and stuff and you're like, oh, did I do this? Or like, oh, could this happen? Or, and I think it's like, it's both a good thing and a bad thing because you're kind of, you have to get that outside perspective and be like, okay, like, is this the way I wrote this, even though I was not intending to write write it like that? And then like, what do I want to do with this information? And I think the outside point of view, and like to come back to what we were discussing last time we spoke as well, I think that's one of the things that I like about fan fiction is that you're getting this instant feedback and instant, like outside point of view on your story. And then you can make those decisions, I think a lot easier than if you're just sitting in front of your laptop, and just being like oh what what am i writing you know so i think for me like that i wouldn't say that's necessarily a plot hole but that's definitely something that's helped me in the past Mm -hmm. um of like getting outside an outside perspective on on the story and kind of taking those points of view into consideration and being like oh right i could write it like that you know or or maybe that's not something that i want to write but yeah
1: I find also, for me, it's useful to me. um, I'm writing a story now that has a really strong kind of mystery genre thing where there's an expectation that the mystery will be resolved at the end, which it will be. And people are starting to leave comments where they're guessing what the thing is. And I like to judge by the comments. Am I giving too much information or not enough? Because Mm -hmm. what I want to see is people making guesses that none of them are right but they're gradually getting closer yeah and so and i've and i've been seeing people making guesses that i feel like are getting closer but not there and so i've i've been like encouraged that like they have you know you want the right amount of foreshadowing but also misdirection at the same time if you're writing the mystery genre so i was like pleased with seeing the kinds
0: of Guesses that people were making. Yeah, definitely. This reminds me. So in castles, in I think it's under chapter ten. There's a whole thread going about like who killed Amicus Caro, which is kind of like a subplot in the story. Yeah. And I was kind of like, and and I love looking at these guesses because so one of one of them is correct. Out of like all the all the all the comments that I've gotten, like one person guessed it, and I was kind of happy as well when I saw it. I was like, okay, but. um, uh, but, yeah, no, it's kind of nice to see, like, people sort of engaging in that. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about fan fiction is, like, getting that outside perspective and being able to, like, use it sometimes. And then you can also disregard it. I mean, if it's not helping or if it's, like, something that doesn't fit with the way you viewed the story or whatever, then that's fine as well. But I think it's great to have that outside perspective. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of also, like, solving, like... More say let's say more major like you know if I if I've written like ten pages of a story and then I'm like oh mm-hmm. I don't know this doesn't work and I don't know why uh, one of the things that I will usually do is just let it go like I will stop writing that story for like mm-hmm. sometimes a week sometimes mm-hmm. like ten months yeah. until I've worked out a way to make it work that's one hundred percent what happened with the Fulton Fulton manufacturing like I. Yeah started writing it in may and june of 2021 and then i hit a wall something wasn't working i couldn't tell what it was and Mm -hmm. i was like and i was just like okay i'm just gonna put it aside for like x number of months and then i came back to it in february 2022 and finished it so i think time also helps and also, I find like for smaller kind of problems, like if it's a scene or something, I like just taking a walk and like trying to work it out in my head as well, and like yeah. trying to like. And I think you know, it's not like you have to take a walk. Obviously, I understand that like certain people can't take walks, but it's like I think you need to, an activity yeah. that like doesn't that is kind of mindless, like that. Yeah, can, it could be of, cleaning your bathroom, or exactly, vacuuming, or whatever. But it's like. It's something that will let your mind kind of wander and kind of, mm-hmm. like, you can you can work through whatever, if it's knitting, if it's walking, if it's cleaning your bathroom, but something that, like, yeah. something other than writing that will give you time to think and sit and think about, like, what the problems are and, like, try and, like, rework mm-hmm. the story in your head until it works.
1: Yeah, I find walking is good, driving is good, um... But, yeah, walking can be some of the best stuff. Another thing is, like, different – for me, this this might be a less common thing, but different kinesthetic actions that you do with your body can, can cause you to have different ideas. So sometimes I'll go on, like, a swing set that I have in a park because moving at that pace and in that way, it can get me thinking about um, – More sort of fast-paced or action-oriented scenes, but I have to feel it. Like, I have to feel some adrenaline. I have to feel some Mm -hmm. movement to get into that mindset. Um, You know, whatever it takes. I mean, sometimes for me, I will listen to the sound. Like, if I'm writing a scene where there's heavy rain or there's a thunderstorm or whatever ambiance, I'll listen to the sounds of that so that I'll kind of have that sense. I mean, for me, like a lot of the writing is, is, it's very sensory for me. So I want to have, I I, want to like experience sometimes what it would feel like to be this character going through this sort of tactile or sensory experience. And then other times I'm thinking more cinematically in terms of if this was a movie, like what would happen next? You know, and um, it it, it really, it depends on your writing style. I mean, some of my stories i wrote in a way where i was imagining being that character and in other stories i wrote in a way where i was imagining sort of watching a movie about this so um like it it, it really depends
0: yeah no that makes sense so i suppose one of the things um that we also want to talk about is pacing so i think you have a lot more thoughts on mm-hmm. this than i do um so do you want to do you want to talk about that a little bit Yeah. So pacing, I guess I would define it as
1: roughly, it's a kind of ratio between the amount of real time that passes in in the reader's world as they read your text and the amount of concrete actions that happen in your character's world and how much imaginary time passes in the character's world. So Mm. quick pacing will usually involve like a high ratio of action verbs to other types of verbs. Um, maybe less description. It also might involve time jumps, you know, a few months forward or a few years forward compared to, you know, in real life, how long it takes for the character to read. Whereas like slow pacing might be very meditative. There might be a lot of sensory description. There might be a lot of more passive actions that the characters are taking, like lying down, eating, drinking, driving, as opposed to fighting or searching or that sort of thing, running. And then of course it might be set over the course of a very short period of time that having been said you could have a really fast-paced story that's set over a short period of fictional time so like we know there's the show 24 where every episode is about takes place over the course of only one day and it's an action show and like very action-oriented fast-paced so those are a few different things to consider and um for me i also like when i think about pacing i think when the most relevant um, plot developments happen or pieces of information are revealed, how close are they together in terms of how much time would a reader have to spend physically reading to go from one major revelation to the next one? Mm -hmm. Is it five minutes? Is it 15 minutes? Like, is it half an hour? Um, So I I think about those, even just kind of the visual weight of text on the page. Um, Obviously, when you're having dialogue, you're frequently starting a new paragraph As each person speaks and for that reason you're gonna see a lot of white space on the page and the text looks a little bit sort of fluffier and then if you have a lot of description you're gonna have these long dense paragraphs and there will be a sort of heaviness to the text so that's not to say that any of these things is necessarily good or bad but um, you have to think about what you're going for and having some balance and I mean there are some writers who manage to do the wall of text extremely slow paced thing and pull it off I mean those tend to be writers who have maybe a more smaller more serious more adult audience like David Foster Wallace is I think somebody who maybe is in the Guinness Book of World Records for doing for writing details at an extremely slow pace wall of text paragraphs that last over 10 pages long you know like he'll spend like 45 pages describing like the the ducks in the air conditioner you know um but he does this with an artistic purpose like when he's boring you he's doing it intentionally because he's making a comment on the nature of boredom and entertainment you know he's not doing this by accident Mm -hmm. um and of course if you read like an airport thriller like a james patterson or whatever that would be like a very fast-paced book so um For me, I guess it's about finding a pace that feels right for the kind of story I'm telling and also thinking about what kind of readers I'm going to gain and lose with a certain pace because whatever pace you choose, some people are going to say, no, this feels too much like an airport thriller. It doesn't feel sophisticated enough or some people are going to go, this looks dense and heavy. I want something that's more fun. So Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think about it in that way. And would you say you have a similar perspective or? Um, Yes
0: and no, like... it's not I think pacing I think the thing with pacing is like it's not really something that I think about like it's Mm -hmm. it's something that I feel like I can tell like there's certain rules that I have like I tend to not have like too many action scenes together or too many like dialogue-y you know long conversations together or whatever I tend to limit myself in terms of Mm -hmm. like back and forth in dialogue because I find like a lot of times like when you've got these books of like I don't know there's like pages and pages of like people just people talking to one another and like that tends to be annoying to me personally like it's not really to my taste i tend to like not have more like my general rules is like 10 lines back and forth of like a conversation and then i'll break the rule if like there's Mm -hmm. a specific thing that i want to say or a specific way that i want to do it but it is something so like, there are certain things that I will think about um, in that way. But generally speaking, it's not really some... Like, I don't really think of pacing as, like, a thing that I think about for the purposes of building a story it's more like when I'm writing or when I'm editing if I'm bored by this then I'll be like no this is boring Mm -hmm. and just delete everything Um, (laughs) and so like that's kind of the way I think about it a little bit is more like I'll do it on editing or I'll do it like when I'm writing, I'm like, ugh, this is boring or whatever, but it's more, I tend to write more in the way that I'll like throw words at the page and see what sticks. And then like on edit, I'll like delete certain things. And so that's kind of where yeah. the pacing issue comes into place. And I like, I look at it and I'm like, Oh, does that work? Does that not work? If I'm bored by my own writing, then that's not usually a good sign. <laughs> I, I find that there's kind of two competing
1: issues with the pacing sort of competes against show, don't tell. So mm-hmm. when you want to speed up the pace, you have to go from showing into summarizing and that will yeah. allow things to happen more quickly. That being said, it's a big thing in writing that you're supposed to show and not tell. So sometimes I feel um, for me, I'm probably a big shower, not teller. But then I struggle with having a really slow paced story. So it's a question like you're probably more of a teller and you have a more faster paced story. So it's a question of like how much telling versus showing are you okay with? I mean, for me, the idea is the more important something it is, the more you have to show it. And if it's less important, you can tell it. But again, you still have to decide like if you're showing everything, you're going to have a slow pace of story.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like definitely decisions that I made. A lot of the times when I re- like a lot of the times when I write a first draft, it's a lot of showing. Like it's mostly just showing mm-hmm. and mostly just me going through the motions of like showing every single every single thing that happens. Yeah. And then on edit, I'm like, "No, there's no need to show this. This could be a sentence summarizing what happened there." So like a lot of time I will, like, that's how I will edit. I will, like, Mm -hmm. write out a scene with, like, all the dialogue and everything that happens, and then it will end up being, like, a paragraph of, of like, stuff that I've summarized and only kept, Mm -hmm. really, the scenes that I found were interesting or like something that I think is actually worth showing. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as you said, like it's like if you're showing everything, the problem is like you just, because also showing takes more time, both in terms of like crafting the scene itself, mm-hmm. but it also takes more time for you to show, for the reader to understand what you're trying to show. Like yeah. a lot of times you'll have to show the same thing multiple times or like show it from a different aspect or like show it, you know, for the reader to pick up on it. Whereas like if you just write it as like a tell thing, then that's a much easier like that's a much easier balance to to do and like the reader will pick it up right away. So I think that is the balance that you kind of have to find in your pacing. What I would say to people who are struggling with
1: pacing versus showing and telling is If you want to pick up the pace, which a lot of us honestly need to do, because that's a big writing problem is, you know, not knowing when to edit. But if you want to pick up the pace, I would say follow the follow the advice of Gypsy Rosalie, who is a famous burlesque dancer, who which is sort of like a stripper who was famous that over the course of an entire show, she would take off only a single
0: glove. So, she's not showing a whole lot, but when she shows you, she makes it count. Right. Yeah, I think, like, one thing that I used to... I have not done it in a while, because I've just... I haven't needed to. But one thing that I used to do is, I used to... So, if I had, like, a draft of whatever, if it was a story, whatever, I would make a copy of it, like, park it to the side, and then in one of the copies... I would delete every single, every other sentence so I know this sounds weird but it's like it really yeah. shows you what is important because then when you go back and you edit and you read there's so many things where you're like oh actually this is not this is not important I deleted it and I didn't even realize like on reread yeah. so I think that was like that is something that I found helpful in certain circumstances like not all that and obviously it doesn't solve all your problems but I find that deleting every other sentence is kind of like you can actually see where you're missing that information and where that information was needed versus like when you were just rambling and like it wasn't necessary
1: and and like in fan fiction your your readers will leave you comments being like who was that guy and what was that (laughs) thing and you know and and you know if one person asks sometimes they have bad reading comprehension but if everyone's asking you maybe you just weren't clear and you do actually need to explain that a little bit more i have i i get a lot of like when i because i write a lot of historical fiction i probably have some younger readers who will leave me a lot a lot of comments asking what was that thing or whatever because like they don't know what a certain device was or they don't they don't understand the like subtle euphemisms that i'm using because they they, right. they don't know they don't know like what it means like when a character says that a girl got in trouble like they don't understand that that's a euphemism for pregnancy or whatever like mm-hmm. um so sometimes when i get that i just like to be like ask your grandma because <laughs> i d- i don't want to make it more obvious and i'm just
0: you know just just go ask ask grandma what that meant that's funny i tend to explain these things as much as i can whilst like remaining within um like within something that makes logical sense obviously and that isn't too burdensome but i know that when i wrote uh the 14th manufacturing which happens in ireland and obviously like talks a lot about like a lot of the Irish history and like the troubles and things like that. I I tended to try as much as I could to like explain what had happened and what what there
1: or, like, to, to briefly explain like what's necessary to know to understand the plot. Yeah
0: what's necessary to know to understand and like you know pronunciation like the character so Aoife is obviously like uh, Seamus's sister and like she's a very major character and I was like I just want people to know how to pronounce her name like I'm just gonna write it down because I don't want people to be like You know, like Googling or I don't want to take away from that experience as well of like the immersion in the story for them to have Mm -hmm. to Google certain things like pronunciation, like certain events or whatever. So I'm just like, I'd like to explain as much as I possibly can fit without Mm -hmm. sounding boring either. Like without, you know, if it's like one sentence of explanation, then that's fine. But I'm also not gonna explain to you that like Ireland was colonized by the British and like that they stayed for 800 years like I'm not gonna or like every or like every event in Irish history (laughs) exactly exactly. like I'm not gonna go through like the whole thing but I will explain like little things or things that I think are necessary for you to understand as a reader yeah
1: and I think some of that gets into like the topic of audience and accessibility and I think that could be Mm -hmm. a topic for a whole other episode about like what is your relationship to your audience who are you trying to read what kind of concessions are you willing to make for your audience and what are you willing to not make so like i think that's like Mm -hmm. such a rich topic it could be a whole episode
0: yeah no definitely well anyway for this episode i think we're quite done um so i think it's time to wrap up uh do you have any recommendations to give us this week you know what i i
1: don't think i have any fresh recommendations this week i don't want to recommend any of the really Dense heavy war books that I've been reading. I just feel like if you're if you want that, you'll seek it out yourself. But that's that's some really heavy okay. stuff. People don't necessarily need that right
0: now. No, fair enough. Um I think there's two things that I wanted to recommend. So the first one is uh something that I wanted to mention at the top of the show and then I forgot. Uh is I've been reading a thick that I really like, which is called Knowing Where to Look, uh by alba Baguette. I think I sent it to you before. But, um, they have just released a new chapter, which is why I was mentioning it. Um, it's a Harry Potter, like, post-war thick. And. Mm I would definitely say if you're reading castles and if you know, like, what I'm writing and you like the, like, weird wizarding, like, world admin of, like, rebuilding the world mm-hmm. after the war and, like, the politics and all of that stuff. If that's what you like yeah. in castles, you will like know knowing where to look. Um, it's, um, it's also told from the point of view of, uh, Roberts, who's, like, the head or, of uh, the like of the ministry and stuff, and I think it's a very interesting point of view because obviously, like, it's a completely OC sort of situation. Um, Does it contain dollish abuse? Because uh, Dolish ha- Dolish is so abused. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> He's so attacked. I don't think so. Uh, I don't remember that it does, but uh, but no, it's like it's a very it's a very good story, and it, I think it's like a very interesting point of view that you don't really get and like in anything else, and I I really like that story. Um, mm-hmm. And the second thing that I wanted to recommend, which was kind of building on our discussion last time in the first episode about like the sort of border and like the sort of line between original fiction and fan fiction and all of that stuff Um, I -hmm. think a lot of uh, one thing that you can think about as well is adaptations and I've recently uh, like movie to like movie to book or book to movie or that stuff and Mm -hmm. I've recently watched uh, the Lincoln Lawyer the series on Netflix because there was like a Mm -hmm. film that was made as well and so there obviously is based off of uh, Conley's series about like you know he's got two series like there's the harry bosch one and then there's this one um and it's like there are procedurals but it's very interesting to see how different people handle the same characters and the same plot Mm uh the lincoln lawyer is not great like it's not a great show but i think it's kind of an interesting one to see if you've read the books or if you've watched even the film that came out a few years ago it's kind of an interesting thing cuz it's they're kind of the same stories they're the same character but they're done very differently and i think that's kind of a that's kind of a very interesting thing
1: okay so Thank you for listening to everybody. Thanks for sticking in for our second episode. And I guess we want to remind people that if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes or um, topics that you want us to address, our ask box is open. And we are at the (laughs) fanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com.bluehellsite.
0: Anything else? uh no that's it um i think um so i'm obviously pebbly sand you can find me on tumblr the blue hell what hell site as well uh at pebbly sand and on ao 3 at pebbly sand as well and you can find me at copper
1: slash dust um on tumblr and a copper underscore dust on ao 3 great thank you very much bye guys Bye.